Welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about copper and copper exploration. And on the on the call today we have Mark Vanry, who is CEO of recently listed Copper Explorer Wedgemount Resources, uh, which was recently listed in Canada. Uh, so welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me on, sir. Um, so Wedgemount is an extremely interesting company. Um, it's um, uh, you're exploring for copper in British Columbia and you're exploring for copper at a time when uh, there seems to be uh, unprecedented interest in in copper and where that's going um, we've, we've certainly featured some stories recently on the site showing that there are a lot of institutional investors getting interested in copper now um, wedge mount uh, primarily a copper focused play but can you can you give us a little bit more background on the company and what it's setting out to do Wedgemount is a brand new copper exploration company focused in Western North America. All of our assets at this point in time are in the province of British Columbia. The company was founded just in the fall of 2020. And as Stuart, you mentioned, uh, we recently listed in uh, late May of 2021 on the Canadian Stock Exchange. The goal of the company, again, is as we're, we're an exploration company, we're not planning to develop a mine. We're not operating existing or historic mines. The, the technical expertise in the company is uh, on the geological side. And our goal is to take projects which have all three of our projects, which have discovered copper and gold on them uh, to the next level where there's a enough copper and gold in the ground to warrant development or hopefully one day a full mining operation. So the strategy is you're basically out there looking for undervalued opportunities where where somebody might historically have been looking for copper previously, let's say in the 1960s. There's a little bit of uh, geological data there, but nobody's really been doing a lot of work um, with more recent technology um, in terms of exploration. That's exactly right, Stuart. So if you look at each one of our projects, all of them, as I said before, have uh, historic uh, discovered copper and gold on them. But each one of them has had limited work from the early days of discovery in the 1960s. Um, our goal and our strategy is to take these assets and use modern exploration techniques for the very first time on them. As you mentioned, they're all copper, copper and gold targets. And one thing in particular about copper and gold exploration, particularly in British Columbia, where most of the targets are copper porphyries, in our case, alkalic copper porphyries, the technology and techniques being used over the last 15 years have really been a game changer on these types of historic assets. So the other good thing about um, picking up assets like these is that they tend to be somewhat under the radar screen each of our three asset acquisitions go into our corporate strategy of looking for underexplored, underappreciated, and hence undervalued uh, projects. The way we were able to acquire our projects is through our what we believe to be our uh, uh, local advantage and technical advantage. Each of the three projects, our team did their technical due diligence on them. And because we're a local BC company and we know most of the players, both public, private, you name it, in BC, we were we actually had existing relationships with each of the three companies 
that had these assets. And that's absolutely huge. It's not like anyone can just come in and pick up these assets, form relationships and do deals. So um, because of that local knowledge, we were able to do transaction on Eagle, Cookie and Friendly on very, very favorable terms. Uh, they have limited expiration budgets in the first couple of years, limited number of shares and limited number of cash payments in order to um, acquire the assets. That's absolutely huge for a junior company because we don't want to be diluting ourselves in the early phases um, with massive cash payments and exploration budgets. If we're successful down the road, those budgets and payments will go up. And in the first couple of years when we're really doing our, our early work on the projects, there's not massive commitments for, for wedge mount. So again, that goes back to the corporate strategy of you know having a portfolio approach which de-risks the company, creates optionality for shareholders, and, and again, not blowing up the balance sheet in the early days. Cookie project, that, that was um, one of the original ones um, that the company was looking at. It was previously called Red, I think, and it was, uh, you have actually recently announced that you've extended that by acquiring more prospecting rights just adjacent to that as well. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. So if you look at the original deal we did on the project, uh, they were it was called the red option because the historic claims there were known as red. And again, we picked those up off uh, a former Kaminko geologist who had done the original exploration for Kaminko there in the early 1960s. So the original claim package was about 2,000 hectares. We've since added another 26,000 hectares in total around the historic red claims and hence the the red option deal that we did just before christmas of uh of 2020 so we've added a huge amount of land to the to the claims package up there and it's not just that we added land around it because we thought it might be interesting there's actually historic samples of copper and gold across pretty much all of the tenures so we now have a really really large target outside just the core of the historic drilling and sampling at uh, at red and again that again goes back to i keep going back to it to our strategy of of picking up assets in proven areas where we where the cost of entry is not high i think the total value of the staking was about $22,000 so really a really economic way of picking up claims in an extremely hot area for copper exploration. And one of the things that impressed me was the, the fact that you are able to actually do that staking on online in Canada. It is as simple as as going online and, and uh, acquiring the rights to explore a particular patch of land. There seems to be an enormous amount of transparency there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to be honest, I'm not sure when the system um, came into place when the staking started online. Um, it, it's definitely been around for at least 15 years. But again, if your technical team, in this case, our geological team left, led by Chris Leslie, if the, you know, they have the, um, the ability to go out, look for ground that's highly prospective, and it's very easy to go online. You can see what's staked, you can see what's not staked. You could, if you have your eye in a certain area where claims possibly may be coming open, you can see that as well, you know, to be ready to stake those areas. But for us in this one, there was there was open ground around cookie slash red, and uh, we were really happy that it was open and we could just go stake it online. But again, as you say, the transparency is great. The system is great. Um, I wish more parts of the world were like that. It would make life a lot easier. <laughs> yes. And then the second one um, you've got is Eagle. 
I guess the difference between one of the differences between Eagle and what is now called Cookie is the fact that Eagle is further south. So there is a from an operational perspective, Eagle is is much more accessible and and is going to be more accessible for longer during the exploration season, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's correct. So Cookie's in north central BC, whereas Eagle is more, let's call it slightly north of the center of the province. So um, your exploration season is longer, there's generally less snow, winters are less cold, etc. Just the standard type of stuff that you would think about for the project that's further south. And the other nice thing about Eagle is that you're only 90 kilometers from the town of Fort St. James. The area is undergoing significant amount of logging. So there's infrastructure in the area, there's logging roads in the area, uh, there's camps in the area, there's actually holiday areas around uh, on lakes, et cetera. So access is very good. Also the topography around there is fairly benign. So it's really easy to get around the project. But again, I'll just, just think of it as you can start earlier in the spring and you can explore later into the fall. The other nice thing about Eagle is that because of the networks of road on it, and, and again, because you're, you're fairly close to civilization there, let's call it, you can dr do a winter drill program up there. So, for example, in this year's uh, phase two of our exploration program, we're going to be doing a late summer, early fall drill program. If we like what we're seeing on that drill program, we can certainly extend it through the winter. So, again, better access to uh, all the services that we need a bit further south and also enhance lower cost of exploration. No helicopters needed. You drive right into the property. I can drive to the property in 10 hours from Vancouver to give you an example. So that's a really nice feature of Eagle, definitely. And then and then after after you after you listed the company, you've actually made uh, another acquisition, which is the Friendly Lake Deer Lake um, site, which is another road accessible uh, 13,000 hectare property. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one as well? Yeah, for sure. Just to clarify, we we Eagle uh, we picked up Eagle before the IPO, post IPO. Um, we even though we had an exclusivity on Cookie, we hadn't closed that deal. So Cookie came in after IPO, and Friendly, as you mentioned, is is the newest one, Stuart. So Friendly's in South Central British Columbia. As the uh, to give you an example, it's about a five hour drive from downtown Vancouver, just off the main highway. It's a 13,000 hectare project. So again, another very large land package with historic copper and gold, also some base metals uh, dis discovered over the period of the last 35 years. But this project, similar to Eagle, as you were mentioning, really easy access. So this part of BC has been devastated by pine beetle. So hence, because of the pine beetle, the, most of the area has been logged and continues to be logged at this point. So on our friendly project, you're right off a main highway. There's logging roads all around it. There's also fishing lodges in the area. Um, so access is very, very good. So the other, the other uh, item, going back to what we were talking about, Eagle, you're even further south than Eagle. This is one of the hottest, driest areas of, of Canada. So your expiration season starts earlier in the spring and goes pretty much right through to winter time. Again, if we're successful at our phase one this summer where we're doing mapping, sampling, and geophysics, if we move to drilling over the winter time, that's absolutely no problem. And again, because you're close to towns, you're close to services, the cost of exploration here 
is very, very low. And to give you an example, a couple of our neighbors are two of the biggest companies in Canada. We've got tech uh, resources on one side of us and new gold on the other side there. And they're, they're active there on a year round basis. So it's a, it's a great part of British Columbia in which to work. It's very cost effective and surrounded by existing mines and infrastructure, as all our projects are. The Friendly Lake is is right in the um, the sweet spot of one of the most uh, prolific copper belts in British Columbia, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm glad you brought up that point because, um, to give you an example, just south of us, just outside the city of Kamloops, BC, which is one of the larger population centers in the province, You've got uh, New Gold's New Afton uh, underground block caving copper mine, and also you've got Tex Highland Valley mine, which has been in operation for it's coming close to 100 years now. It might even be over 100 years. Two of the biggest copper projects in North America. Just to the north of us, you've got Imperial Metals Mount Polly project as well. So highly prolific area. Uh, I also wanted to mention that I didn't say it, Eagle and at Cookie. Eagle, further to the north, is... Uh, is less than 100 kilometers away from Centauri Gold's Mount Milligan copper gold mine and also Northwest Copper's Quinica copper gold development project. So Eagle, similar to Friendly, is in amongst some of the most prolific copper production in the province. Lastly, I'll go back up to Cookie, way up north again. So Cookie is just south of the uh, 40 kilometers south of the formerly producing Kames South copper gold mine. And now Kames North and Kames East will go into production over the next five to six years as well. And there are a variety of large companies such as Freeport, such as Antofagasta, all the way down to junior companies, either producing copper, doing development projects, or doing exploration similar to Wedgemount. If you get a chance to go to our website and look at the map where the three projects are located, you'll see they follow the ribbon of uh, the British Columbia copper belt for all the way from north to south so you've got these these three packages already do you have any any immediate plans to add to these or is, is this enough to keep you busy at least for the current exploration season we are always reviewing projects you know it's just part of part of what part of what we do and and you know being a company that can add value to shareholders we're always reviewing new projects so i would say at this point in time with with the three that we have already so if we were to acquire something else, it would have to be pretty spectacular. We really like the prospect prospectivity of our portfolio as it is, but um, we'll continue to review. And if something looks very good geologically, and also it makes sense uh, as far as you know the company strategy about um, not overpaying for assets, uh, particularly in the early days, you know we'll consider it for sure. Can you can you tell us you know, what your plans are in terms of uh, the current exploration season? Where where you where you plan to start um, and in terms of when you anticipate any results appearing or going to assay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I can do it kind of on a project by project basis, sure. Stuart, as per our press release, uh, which I think went out about a week, 10 days ago, uh, we've been working on our phase one exploration, our Eagle project. So phase one there, mapping, sampling, uh, relogging historic core, that phase one is pretty much wrapping up as we speak right now. Results from uh, the sampling program, turnarounds at the labs right now are about six weeks. So we should start to see our first results in approximately six weeks. When we go back to do phase two at Eagle 
we will be uh, doing geophysics there and geophysics are absolutely crucial for understanding the structural controls of alkalic copper gold porphyry. So we'll go in and do the geophysics. Um, that crew should be in there within the next month. I don't have an exact date as of, as of yet right now, but uh, somewhere between two to three weeks, we'll have the geophysics done there. Results of that are almost immediate. Once we have the results of the mapping sampling, plus the geophysics, we'll go in and start drilling likely late August on the Eagle project. So that's the time frame for Eagle. Again, we have crews on the ground there right now. So it's gonna be nothing but news flow from Eagle from here through probably mid-fall at least. Um, second project uh, where work is starting is, is up at Cookie. Cookie, the crew should be up there next week. Again, that's a it's a very large project, almost 30,000 hectares in total. The initial program up there will be mapping, sampling, and also IP geophysics. So that's the program for this summer up there. The crew is going to go in and uh, resample historic areas, uh, both outcrop and soils. They'll relog historic core. They're also going to traverse a lot of the new ground. A lot of our new ground has not seen any boots on the ground since the 1960s. So there's a lot of work to do there to better understand the geology uh, and structural controls of what's going on in the area. The goal of the cookie program, all the mapping, sampling, and geophysics will be to uh, flush out priority drill targets for next year. So Cookie will not be drilled in 2021, it'll be drilled in 2022, but there's there we already have a bunch of targets on the project as of now because of the historic work, but we really want to uh, high grade the target so that we're ready to go in uh, aggressively in 2022. So very excited about that program. And again, it kicks off in, uh, in the next few days here. Um, finally, Friendly down in Southern British Columbia, again, because of the longer season, down in the south, we're doing that one. Uh, we're going to start that one later in the summer. The, the first uh, team will be out there in mid-July, and then we'll continue through August and then through the fall there as well. Again, um, this is an area with significant discovered copper and gold amongst other base metals and even, even some PGMs in the area as well. We'll have boots on the ground there for mapping, sampling, and IP geophysics. Um, again, we'll be the majority of the program will be kicking off in August and we can go through to the fall. Subject to the results of that and the definition of drill targets, um, if we like what we see from the initial phase one, we will be in there drilling in the winter. And as I mentioned earlier on, because the access is so good, because there's logging roads throughout the, the property, um, we can get in there in the wintertime and do a winter drill program that's cost effective. So really nothing but news flow from us, from exploration on each of the three projects from here through the balance of the year. You've, you've mentioned already one of your edges is, is your ability to source these opportunities that are not necessarily readily accessible. And I guess that comes partly because of your own background in corporate finance. Can you give us a bit more background on, on yourself and the rest of the team so that the listeners can get a feel for that? Yeah, ab absolutely. I'll, I'll talk about the team first because I think they're, you know, without without the team, I wouldn't even have considered doing this. Then I'll get to myself after if that's okay, Stuart, because I think they're they're the ones that'll make the difference here in, in the long term for Wedgemount. So our technical team is under the leadership of uh, Chris Leslie. Chris is a Canadian geologist and by geologist standard, uh, probably a little younger than average. Chris is just under the age of 40. He is currently completing his PhD, and his PhD is uh, focusing on alkalic copper gold porphyries, which he's spent the majority of his career uh, exploring. 
Chris is probably best known for a discovery that he co-led in central British Columbia called it's it's a it's a it's a gold project rather it's called Blackwater. So Chris um, was working for a company named called Richfield Ventures in the late sorry it was about 2009 2010 they made a significant discovery of the Blackwater Gold Project. Richfield uh, the size of discovery was very large. It's now approximately 7 million ounces. Uh, on the back of that discovery, like what happens often in our industry, the, the company was taken over by a much larger company. So Richfield was sold to New Gold for just under 700 million Canadian. And New Gold, over the next five years, started to develop the project. They ran into financial troubles uh, in Ontario and subsequently have sold the the Blackwater asset that Chris discovered to Artemis Gold. Uh, Artemis is now capitalized just under a billion dollars and that project will be a mine. So that's what Chris is probably best known for, but Chris is just, his ability, his geological knowledge, local knowledge, ability to run a team, ability to, to speak to investors is really second to none. So, you know, we wouldn't have started the company as I mentioned before without Chris. Other senior, uh, technical members. We have Ken McDonald that's joined us recently, another really experienced BC geologist. And, uh, you know, they lead our team and we have a variety of other geologists who I won't name right now, but really excited about our technical people. And again, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing this. Other partners of the company, we have some um, capital markets professionals who we founded the company with, uh, people who have 20, 30 year experience in, in junior exploration and junior resource development, not just in Canada, but on a global basis. So we're really lucky to have them as partners. Um, their, their networks are deep, not just in Canada, but around the world. So excited to have them working with us. Um, lastly, for me, uh, my background is, is finance. I'm neither a geologist nor an engineer. Um, I worked in, in banking, all, all was outside of Canada. I started my career at Scotia down in Latin America and in investment banking. Then moved to the UK where I worked on uh, for two different North American brokerage firms, Raymond James and Canaccord Genuity in the institutional sales and trading. And that's really where I got my background in uh, junior resource development, uh, particularly in North America. We raised significant capital at both of those firms for resource development, both uh, mineral exploration, oil and gas exploration on a global basis. And I really developed... Um, an interest in the sector and deep contacts in the sector through my time in the UK, marketing North American uh, resource companies to European investors. And when I left the sell side and left the UK in 2008, I came back to Canada and, and, and joined the other side of the street and, and, and started working on the corporate side. So that's my background. So I've sort of 25 years either on the sell side or on the corporate side, uh, uh, helping to raise capital and develop junior resource companies in North America. I mean, it's good to have somebody like you on the podcast because this is, this is, as I mentioned at the start, a period of unprecedented interest in copper and Wedgemount is focusing, I know you're going after gold as well, but focusing primarily on opportunities in that copper belt. Um, we're seeing the, the copper price um, has just been off the races um, some commentators are saying that this is largely to do with the anticipated demand for copper as the entire globe moves towards more of a alternative energy infrastructure. All that infrastructure is going to need huge quantities of copper, and that's what's already driving the price, and it's driving more and more interest in 
copper miners and copper explorers. And I just wanted to get your take on on what you think of think of the copper market or what you're seeing from the copper market yourself. Um, absolutely, there's the, the the copper market is arguably right now is the most bullish people have seen certainly since pre the financial crisis, but potentially of all time. And we saw recently saw an all time high in the copper uh, in the copper price now. I can't tell you where the copper price is going. Uh, if, if I knew where the copper price is going, I wouldn't be working for a living. But I think the important thing to know is that you're seeing you've, there's been a lack of capital spent on a global basis in developing new copper projects, first of all. So I think from the supply side, you're not seeing large projects coming online. There's a couple in different parts of the world that'll come on over the next two to three years, but there's nothing really significant. And again, because of the constraints of ca capital budgets of the major copper producers and the lack of new discoveries, the supply side of the copper market looks pretty good. On the on the demand side, you touched Stuart on you know the development of the let's call it the green energy infrastructure, but I think it's more than that. I think you're seeing a big focus on new infrastructure, for example, in the United States, Biden's new plan to improve U.S. infrastructure. Uh, we're certainly seeing it in, in parts of Asia and in, part in, in China as well. But so I think this from the demand side, not only the green energy equation, but just the world's need to upgrade its infrastructure is huge, huge for the demand for copper uh, going forward. And 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 again, as, as I said before, um, with a lack of new development and new discoveries on a global basis, the market is very, very tight. And we're seeing that situation manifest itself in British Columbia. We obviously, we've seen a variety of transactions between major copper mining companies and explorers and developers in the province of British Columbia. For example, we saw tech resources invest in Kodiak Copper, which is a, a comp of, of Wedgemount. They have a property um, just south of our friendly project. We've that transaction happened last year. We've seen Newmont, which is obviously a gold company, but a lot, you know, copper and gold generally come together. Newmont took out GT Gold, which again is a copper gold property in the Golden Triangle of BC. That transaction happened late last year. Um, we saw two weeks ago, Freeport MacMoran, one of the world's top three copper producers, uh, do a uh, option deal with a company just north of our um, cookie project called Amark. So you're seeing big companies coming in, deploying capital and doing BC, doing deals in British Columbia in each of our core areas. Um, so that's pretty exciting for us. So I think as the situation rolls out, I think you'll see companies, you know, global large cap companies continuing to come in in BC. And I think you'll see them go after um, successful exploration companies. It's, you know, the industry hasn't really changed over time. If juniors make large discoveries, their skill set as a junior exploration company is different than a producer. And generally, the producers will come in and buy out those companies. It's, it's been like that for a very long time. I think it'll continue to be. One last thing I would mention is that what you're seeing politically in a couple of the biggest copper producing jurisdictions in the world, Chile, with the new uh, left-leaning government kind of taking control, has announced potentially up to an 80% windfall profits tax on copper, which most of the large producers in Chile, which is the biggest producer in the world, are uh, extremely concerned about that. Uh, you also see in Peru with a new left-leaning government talk of raising copper royalties significantly. So again, that just, that's, you know, that's good news for British Columbia. It means more, more of the large companies are coming to BC. And on that note, um, I was recently speaking to the head of North American exploration for Antipagasta. 
and they stated that Antipagasa's number one jurisdiction to acquire, explore, develop, and hopefully produce copper is the province of British Columbia. So that was a long answer to your question, but I think it hopefully gives some, some color on what we're seeing in the copper market and particularly how the situation manifests itself in, in the province of British Columbia currently. That is, that's, that's extremely interesting. Um, from your perspective, and I know, you, you, I mean, there may be not that much color you can provide here, but you're, you're um, an explorer, you're looking at three separate properties. What, what happens when you find copper on one of these properties? What's, what's the next step for those who, who don't know the mining industry as well? Are you, do you um, dispose of that one property and then basically keep looking for more copper and, and acquire other properties? Or is it more a case that, uh, as you mentioned, you know, uh, you, you get a decent enough strike, a bigger organization will just come and acquire all of Wedge Mountain resources um, because of that one, just that one property in the portfolio? Yeah, a good question, Stuart. I mean, it, you know, each transaction is is on sort of on a on a case by case basis. But what I would say, for example, say for example, on our on our cookie project, um, and by the way, you said if we if we discover copper and gold, we have copper and gold discovered on all our projects already. But if it gets uh, if we discover a, enough to to put some positive economics around an individual project, then you're exactly right. You you would see potentially a transaction on that asset or the company as a whole. Generally, what we've seen for companies, exploration companies that have multiple assets, a major would come in and just take out that particular asset. They may take out the entire company and just and then spin out the the remaining assets on the side. I mean, but generally, if, if a large company is going to come in, they want project that they understand the economics they they understand the the risks they understand the area etc and then so I, I you know as i said it's on a case-by-case -case basis but i would think if if wedge mount is successful someone would come after an individual project so we would either look to add additional projects or it's the exploration is is a high-risk business so you know we'd have to see kind of what the balance of our portfolio looks like but i can tell you that shareholders would benefit because there would, if, if the entire company was not taken out, there would be a return of capital, significant capital to shareholders. At the end of the day, I digress into return of capital to shareholders, but we are the biggest management and the founding group here still owns approximately 85% of the company. If uh, we were successful in one of our assets and were able to sell one of our assets for a significant amount, I can guarantee that the shareholders would be uh, significantly benefit from, from that type of a situation developing. Fantastic. Well, that, that's been that's been great, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, was there is there anything else you wanted to mention um, before we close? Yeah, I would just just sort of summarize by by saying we you know if if you wanted to think about Wedge Mountain thirty seconds, we have an experienced, highly qualified technical team. All of our assets are in a jurisdiction with the rule of law clear land title, and also a very prolific copper gold porphyry belt. We have three projects, all of which we're going to be exploring this year. We have the capital in which to explore all those projects. And if we are successful in any of those projects, there are very large major global copper companies that would be seriously interested in, in those projects if we're to be successful. 
the news flow on our products will be nonstop throughout the balance of the year. So I think any investor, any current investor or potential future investor will have a lot of potential catalysts uh, for share price appreciation. We'll look forward to hearing more about that over the course of the next few months. Thanks very much indeed. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Today, we've been talking to Mark Vannery, CEO of Wedgemount Resources, listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. Code is WDGY. Make sure you visit the Armchair Trader website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for daily updates on financial markets and sign up to our free newsletter.